It is the evening of October 27th, 2022. You are listening to the Comey Mistakes Music Podcast. Perhaps you're listening in on to it on one of our 15 platforms that house the full show. Perhaps you're listening to this later in YouTube form as a clip. Perhaps you're getting to this decades later in the YouTube ether or the the anchor ether, but no matter how you're consuming this, it is the 125th full episode of this show. I am joined by only Josh this week, which we'll talk about in a second. But Josh, what do you think? 125 shows. It's a little mind blowing. I'm going to, I'm going to put fancy trumpets in or celebrate good times music (laughs) (laughs) to, to celebrate the occasion. But yeah, a lot of, Man, it's been a lot of discussion, a lot of albums, a lot of music for those mm. 20, 125. Yeah, we're, we're not all that far away from a milestone of albums covered as well, because we are very close to the 500 albums covered mark as well on the show, um, which pretty much represents like a whole Rolling Stone countdown of songs, right? You know, like yeah. basically if we were to make our own top 500, so... Um, Josh, I'm going to task you with ranking all 500 in one of those, like, you know, (laughs) like, like ringer articles, right? Like Josh ranks all 500 songs covered on CTS. So it's funny Mm -hmm. you should say that because Vulture just put out a YouTube rank, uh, a video, uh, sorry, a list of all the U2 songs ranked from lowest highest on the eve of us talking about them for the first time. So well, that's that why funny. I brought it up because there's yeah. actually people that do stuff like this. We laugh kind of, ha ha, who could do this? And then people yeah. actually do it. So maybe does somebody want to take on the task of ranking every segment on CTS or all of the, the song, the albums that we've covered along the way? Feel free. I don't think it's going <laughs> to yes. be us. We are compiling a database, though, of our scores for albums. So maybe that will be the closest that we get, right? Mm-hmm. That'll be finished. I don't know sometime along the way decades so, in the future decades in, <laughs> decades in the future well we're not decades in the future tonight we are decades in the past we're going to be covering mostly albums from the year of our lord 1983 um we're going to run those down in a second but i do want to mention that unfortunately matt is not going to be joining us tonight unlike most times when matt doesn't join us he is not sick well no. physically sick he, he may be <laughs> like you know you know uh, ill in the in the other ways but that's for you to judge he's licensed no, to ill he's licensed to ill exactly <laughs> yeah or ill communication uh with us but you no know, we did hear um we did hear from him a little later in the evening he is fine so all of you who stand for matt it's kind of like back in the day with like the new kids on the block they all had <laughs> yeah, buttons right member. that you could <laughs> yeah you could put your favorite member of the new kids on the block on your desk in elementary school you know if matt is your matt's kind of like the the danny i think that's a good this. comparison. Yes. Yeah. Matt's <laughs> the Danny, I think. So who does that make me? We have to. We have to. Who, so that gives us Donnie, Jonathan, Joey, and Jordan, right? So yep, you got it. Claim, claim. How how did I remember that? My God, that was a good pull. I only knew like three yeah. of them. I think. Well, they're all J's and D's. I think. So that's yeah. I think I yeah. So so who so, not that you would have picked it, but Danny is off the table. So who 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 are you, Josh? Who's your new kid? Oh geez, I'm probably Donnie. I'm the serious one. You're the serious, but with a little. Well, he bit was of the bad boy, charisma. though, right? He was. I'm not really the bad boy. I'm more of like the silent, the strong, silent one. So that would be kind of. I guess that was Danny. Maybe you are the Danny, <laughs> and so I guess maybe that makes Matt like 
Joey, or he's the old, like, Joey was the youngest, though, and that's, so, I don't know. Who knows? I, Let's leave yeah, it to all, the listeners. <laughs> we'll leave it to the listeners to figure out which new kid we are. Or, yeah. So, anyway, that was a, a tangent here. Do you want to run down the albums that we're covering this week, Josh? Because we have a very interesting show this week, in my opinion. Yeah, full-on full, full on, uh, big, big stars on this this week's show. We've got Madonna's debut uh, al- self-titled album, Madonna. I was about we, to say we're going hard on, and, and yep. it's funny that we go to Madonna after that because yeah, we've got U2's uh, third album, War, mm-hmm. the first one we're covering, also from '83, and then we are uh, firmly in '84 mm-hmm. with Howard Jones's Humans Lib, mm-hmm. and then our follow-up Iron Maiden album Power Slave, which is actually after another album that we won't be covering. And then Metallica's next album, Ride the Lightning, all from 84. You did miss the Cocteau Twins in there, too, Josh. That is, like, <laughs> See, five, that's yeah. a, is that <laughs> You can't forget the Cocteau Twins, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Cocteau Twins EP Spangle Maker, which actually came out before we talked about Treasure um, mm-hmm. a few weeks back. But, uh, yeah, yeah, our first EP of, the, of this show. They're so ethereal that you just skipped right over them, <laughs> Just Josh, right so, yeah. over <laughs> That'll be segment five, I think, tonight. So, yes. well, we, I think we're gonna have a lot to talk about. Kind of, I think we've talked about it before. When Josh and I do these shows, we we talk music. Don't get me wrong, but we we tend to go down some rabbit holes of cultural context, maybe, um, to to fill it in. So, I, I think yep. there's some interesting ones tonight uh, that are gonna give us quite a bit to talk about. Um, I'm gonna normally in these cold list and hot takes, I um, I say we don't do a lot of bio. I am going to do a little bio in terms of setting the table tonight, just because we do have the space for that. And uh, we're going to do a full length bio on Madonna, I believe either like a virgin or like a prayer, right, is is where it's full bio. Um, but we're doing the, self, the self-titled, the debut tonight, when Madonna was still just a New York City club kid who wanted to be a ballerina, you know, and... Mm-hmm fell into New York City life, and next thing you know, she's the biggest female pop star of the 80s. Yeah. So that is kind of the narrative, because I think pretty famously, Madonna uh, was an art school kid you know, from Michigan. She spent some time at the University of Michigan um, before cast, like many did, especially though back when you did it in the 70s and 80s, right? I just felt like there's, there's another layer of gravitas, right, that New York had when you moved there in the... I guess the 60s, too, because you had Greenwich Village and stuff. But I feel mm-hmm. like the 70s and the 80s, right, was, like, dirtier and grittier, right? So right, if you that went, era, you were like, it, yeah. Yeah, that era Blondie and all of that when it was still a city on the rise, I think. Yeah, just, you know, it's there's so many different things about that. The blackouts and, mm-hmm. you know, Son of the Sand. grit and the Son crime and, you know, the 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 porno stores, right, that were mm-hmm. there. There was always all that different stuff, right? And so... You know, I think by the time the 90s come, like it's like that Giuliani broken windows era. And then even like when there's a renaissance in the early 2000s, it's definitely like a safer New York, right? Which is not a bad thing. But like Madonna is, you know, embracing the idea of going to that fully multicultural, dangerous, edgy New York at the Mm -hmm. age of 19. And she does. And uh, her original goal, as I mentioned before, is to be a ballet dancer. Um, She works with a pretty famous choreographer named Alvin Ailey. Um, she also, you know, basically like a lot of people does odd jobs in New York, right? Some of them artistic, some of them 
um, you know, retail slash, you know, waitressy type stuff. Um, and then, of course, like as New York was, everything blends together. She did do some modeling, including some uh, risque modeling, of course, that obviously came back. I think it was supposed to be like came back to embarrass her in like 1985, you know, with like a Playboy centerfold. But of course, knowing what we know about Madonna, you know what I mean? It takes... It takes a lot more than just that, you know what I mean? To, yeah. I mean, heck, five years later, she was five to seven years later, right? She's cashing in on it with her own coffee table book, with her, her own type of different stuff that was probably more edgy than anything there. So, um, she eventually becomes a part of uh, something called the Patrick Hernandez Review. It's like a disco group, which kind of tracks even for what we're going to talk about mm -hmm. tonight. Um, they have a minor hit called "Born to Be Alive." Um, she, she's bouncing around. She meets a gentleman by the name of Dan Gilroy, who she dates for quite a while. Um, and he forms a band with her called The Breakfast Club. Um, eventually, another ex-boyfriend, uh, this one from Michigan, who becomes like a long-term collaborator by the name of Stephen Bray. He is the drummer of that group. Hmm. Um, eventually, I think things break off between uh, Madonna and Gilroy, and also uh, Madonna and Bray break off to kind of do some producing of their own tracks. Um, while this is going on, Madonna's sort of also in the club scene and kind of, you know, as we're, we we will talk about, I'm sure, extensively, Madonna kind of is a tastemaker to some degree for, for years, decades even. And one of the things she first got in there was, you know, is being in, in the club scene and kind of knowing that multicultural club vibe. Um, she makes a demo tape uh, of some of the stuff that she and Bray uh, do, and it ends up in the hands of a gentleman by the name of Mark Kamins, who is a, a producer, DJ, all kinds of different stuff. He gets the tape to Sire Records, and they sign Madonna in 1982. This is around the time when the song Everybody comes out and becomes a hit. Um, mm -hmm. That song actually was created and kind of had it's breakthrough in 82, so a year ahead of this. Um, the song that also ends up on this physical attraction also gets a club uh, hit. Kind of interestingly, it's similar, Josh, to um, like what we talked about with hip-hop, that these songs yes. were circulating in the culture, right, before they ever broke mainstream. Although some, some of the hip-hop we were talking about didn't necessarily break mainstream in the way that like Madonna did, right? But um, yes. Then this album is recorded. Um, pretty famously, Madonna did not like the original recording. So she uh, gets it in the hands of the wonderfully named Jellybean Benitez, who was also her lover at the time. Um, Madonna did seem to mix business and pleasure here during this, <laughs> this era quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and she releases this self-titled debut album in September of 1983. And it features two top 10 hits and five singles want to take a gander at which two songs josh were the top 10 hits well i would imagine that it was probably holiday and holiday was a top 40 hit but not a top 10 hit oh wow mm -hmm. well i like burning up was that was that a top burning 10 hit? up was a was a single but it was not a top 10 nope. well i'm i'm bad at this then um yeah. <laughs> is it um, I don't know. You tell me. Borderline was a top 10 hit, and okay. the highest charting song on the album was Lucky Star, which oh, was okay. number four. And actually, Madonna would go on a run starting with Borderline, 
um, which was not the first song released off of it. Uh, Everybody was and some other songs. But once Borderline hit the top 10, her next 17 singles hit the top 10, which is pretty remarkable. Yep. So we'll leave it there. And whoever gets to pick up Madonna in terms of talking about her, not, you know, pick her up. Yes. Um, is is going to be able to talk about her, I think, in the context of uh, Like a Virgin, which was the one that, like, broke Madonna from, like, big to big, big. Yes. But today... We're just going to talk about the self-titled. Thoughts, Josh? Well, first of all, we're not going to be doing a full bio on her until Like a Prayer in 1989. Looks like mm, going to okay. be our second to last show of the 80s um, or second to last proper episode. Um, and the uh, we're not covering Like a Prayer, actually. So if you're interested in that... Um, Listen. You mean like a virgin, or yes, like a virgin. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Listen on your own um, to fill in that gap, and then let's do some stats too before I give my thoughts. Um, I like it. We've got Madonna's "By Madonna" released in 1983. It is the uh, 22nd highest ranked album of 1983. It is the 217th highest album of the 80s. Uh, Madonna is ranked in her overall artist. Uh, she is ranked 644. Um, no, sorry, 179 in the overall artist rankings um, with that arbitrary ranking. And this album is her fourth best, according to Best Ever Albums, um, with uh, with uh, Ray of Light, Like a Prayer, and True Blue ahead of this and Like a Virgin right behind it. And I know we cover Like a Prayer, and I know we cover um, uh, um, Ray of Light. I, not, Ray of Light we do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we cover In the True 90s. Blue? Nope. That's another one oh, that okay. we will not cover. Oh. Uh, my sister covered True Blue every day, I think, of my childhood <laughs> for like a good six-month stretch, so I know that <laughs> album front, back, and beyond. But what? Let, how do we encompass early Madonna, Josh? Where do you, where do you want to start with Madonna? I... I I love early Madonna. I think it's okay. just it's just a and I I love this album. I think it's a perfect pop record. It is, you know, we've we've had post punk. I feel like this is post disco. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely, firmly in the dance dance based uh, club scene. On this album, every track is like a dance track, pretty much. I think they made extended versions of some of these songs on some of the releases to to keep it on the dance floor even longer. Um, I think they did that with Holiday or Lucky Star. Yeah, I felt like a couple of these songs were much longer than the versions you would have heard on MTV or on the radio yes, that I grew up with, yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And uh, every song has has a really catchy hook. Um, it's, it's real synth-based and drum machine-based, and I think there's some probably electric, electric piano on here or keyboards definitely um, drum and bass drum and bass for sure yeah yeah and that that's really like the key to making this a good dance album and Uh, synth i should mention too like especially like early 80s uh synth for sure yes for sure yep it's got these uh so it's got these infectious beats to them and then she's got her great singing overlaid with them and they just make perfect dance tracks uh they're they're so fun to sing along to um they have they have catchy or um choruses as well infectious and 
the I mean it's only eight songs the original album and I feel like every song is uh good to great um there's no really bad ones there I mean I think they're a little formulaic in terms of uh the structure and there's a lot of repetition but I had a real good time listening to it it's such an easy listen it reminds me a lot of um of the Cindy Lauper album in terms of just really well done, really well sung, um, well crafted. And it's, I've definitely heard this album before, but it's been a while and it's, it puts Madonna on that great, like start. It's not like fully formed Madonna yet, but you can definitely see all of the elements are there. And then I think when she starts kind of striking out in terms of you know, expanding her, getting away from the fully dance-focused nature of her songs into more pop-oriented and maybe a bit more complex themes. Um, but I think the foundation is here, and you can see what makes her special on this album. Yeah, I, I want to mention that um, three things that are used extensively in this that kind of go along with what we talked about. There's mm-hmm. the, Lindr- the Lindrum machine, which is okay. extremely recognizable yes. sonically in the early 80s. Yeah, it's um, I actually believe it or not, I can I know this one pretty. It's it's I think it, it didn't have a very long lifespan, if I remember correctly, like five years or six years before it got um, displaced by other drum machines but it's a it's a very distinct drum sound yes uh, the the and i'm looking now for those who said the moog bass yeah gosh <laughs> yes the I'm... moog bass is the, so we said bass and drum right it's coming yep. from the moog bass and the lin drum machine and then there's the uh, the uh, infamous obx synthesizer as well another like colossal 80s thing so i mean madonna's kind of at the front end of this but these become ubiquitous in the 80s so that's it's... the Yep. Mm-hmm. It's good to see Moog is still producing instruments. I know we we talked about them a lot in the in the uh, 60s and 70s. They were damn near a Hall of Famer in the 60s yeah. <laughs> and then in the 70s outside of a little bit of Prague, right? They kind yep. of disappeared. So, uh, good good for good for Moog for coming back. But yeah, I, the thing that really strikes me about this Madonna and and I think I this is a very enjoyable album. Um she would do better work. I think like yeah. later in the 80s and we're not going to cover that, but I, I mean, full cards ahead. I think, like, like a Virgin and True Blue are stronger albums than this in terms yeah. of like the the highs might be a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, two of my all time favorite uh, Madonna songs from just a put me in a good mood are uh, Dress You Up and Borderline. Right, those yep. are two songs. I think one time somebody said Borderline's the Madonna song that even people that don't like Madonna like, and there's some truth to it because it's just it's such a um, it's such an interesting. Um, way of saying like about a relationship right because that's what all these songs are Mm -hmm. about they're like relationship songs and and madonna is still very much a fascinating synthesis of like disco but looking like 80s new york yeah and 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 this is where madonna still belongs to new york more than she belongs to the world at this point and i think that's why i always am um particularly drawn to this madonna because there's just some you know, Madonna can never be accused of being, um, you know, like a babe in the woods, right? Or, and, you know, I would say for most of her career, she was pretty calculating too. I mean, she was ahead sure. of the cur- curve most of the time, but there was a calculation to what she was doing, which all great artists have, right? I think at this thing, she was sort of effortlessly 
you know, ahead of the curve as opposed to calculated ahead of the curve. She was still mm -hmm. hungry. She was still a little bit desperate in the way that like almost like a punk band was or or like the Saturday Night Fever, like John Travolta, you know, character. Yeah, it's like you, sure. you kind of came from like these small town, you know, you know, roots in her case. You know, I think Bay City was where she was from, Michigan. So kind of like a, you know, like a, a kind of a. Like a, a Midwest, Rag, the you know, blue-collar town. Try, yeah, trying and, to reinvent yourself. and But then you become yeah. the star of the club, right? Like yep. you become like a sex symbol who's got, you know, your own style and just like a, a, a grit to it. And, and you know, the other thing, of course, is, you know, Madonna's brand of feminism was a, a different type of feminism, right? Mm -hmm. um, than even what, like, say, Cindy Lauper's was um, that we were talking about or, of course, certainly like mainstream stuff. So it's... I find it, and I know we talked about with, but I, I oftentimes will compare Madonna to Bowie in some ways in that they were often, for a long period of time, they managed to beat back the idea of getting caught by the trends and they kind of were able to put themselves in the trends. But I think one thing that both of them have in common for me is that it's almost impossible for me to, to think of them without thinking about like what stage of their career they're in. Right. So, you know, and throughout the 80s, there's all these different, you know, Madonna characters. There's like seven different distinct Madonna characters I can think of, right? With with this being still, I think, the only one that was at the time, like, less a character and more just, you know, <laughs> what Madonna was. But, yeah, it's just, it's it's a ton of songs that you probably are familiar with, right? Like Lucky Star, yes. Everybody, Borderline, Dress You Up. I mean, these are all songs that, you know, were on the radio extensively. Um, they are not overly complex. They're, they're, you know, they're danced up, you know, disco songs, you know, kind of moved in with yep. 80 synth. That's really the, the big difference is instead of just drum and bass, there's now synth. Um, just, you know. uh, just a slight correction. You, you keep mentioning dress you up and I just want to point out that song. Oh, I'm sorry. Like uh, a virgin. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, um, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm trying to say, uh, burning up. Got it. Yep. Yep. So I'm sorry. I'm saying I keep saying dress instead of so I apologize. Also a good song though. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a great song. Yeah, and it's a shame we're not going to be covering like a virgin. But yeah, this one's definitely a thumbs up. I always love to see an artist before they truly hit it big, and mm -hmm. they're ascending. And um, and this is this is kind of like Madonna in. in in the formative years and, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I know we're not talking a lot about the music itself and I think that the reason is because it's pretty standard issue. Um, good, solid dance pop, mm -hmm. you know, grounded. And, and even the versions of this, as we mentioned before, are long, just like we talked about with disco, right? And, and I would argue that, that the singles, the shortened version of them, for my taste, are better synthesis of what we're going for because I think some oh, of these songs could be taken... Yeah, yeah, could be taken down to like three and a half minutes uh, instead of like the disco extension, yep. you know, five and a half minutes. And it takes out some of the repetition and just makes them a little bit tighter. I mean, it does make it a little bit more, you know, chorus, pre-chorus, you know, yep. chorus, first pre-chorus, you know, all this you know, pre-chorus, chorus, you know, verse, all that good stuff, uh, structure, whereas this is a little bit more free form. But yeah, um, thumbs up for me, for sure. Thumbs up for me. And also, Matt was kind enough to write his notes out for us. Right. So I, okay. Matt's, Matt's take on this is... Are you going to talk as Matt? Like, try to take on a voice? Or are <laughs> no, you, no. Are you I'm, gonna, phone? Oh, yeah. I'm going to read what he wrote. Um, I would. I wish you, like, would record it and then in the editing, <laughs> like, put on, like, auto-tune or something to read it. So, yeah. 
But yeah. Well, Matt, Matt wasn't as high as this on this album as we were. He said, oh, okay. uh, you know how we often say that we're amazed that a certain album was a debut album because it's so good? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, this one, he said, sounds like what you'd expect a debut album to sound like. That's Her- not altogether unfair. I'd no, say. no. Yeah. Her mm-hmm. singles are great, but the other tracks are pretty basic dance tracks with predictable rhymes all about love. It's fine and at times pretty fun, but kind of forgettable in the long run. His favorite song on. Well, I mean, can is... you be forgettable if you have four singles on an album? <laughs> I, I, mean, I get what he's saying, but it's kind of. I mean, full, like yeah, the whole bang. front side is pretty like imbe- yeah. unimpeachable. Um, I wouldn't fa- go so far as to say unimpeachable, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of. I think I've resided in between both. Yeah, I reside in between Matt's like meh and you're like you know <laughs> gushing I'm, I'm, I'm next in next in line to to bask in madonna's glory. i'm burning yeah. up for madonna what can i you say? are yeah uh his favorite track on here is borderline um it has a really good descending chord progression mm-hmm. in yes. the chorus he's thumbs in the middle overall okay that's fair that's enough and, and he i'm glad he mentioned descending chord progression because earlier i said like i like the the structure of yeah. the song and that's what i was referring to in the structure that uh descending chorus so thank you matt yeah. uh ghost of the, the voice of reason <laughs> the voice of reason yeah my only um my only complaint would be songs like as i mentioned before lucky star borderline and holiday are all chalking in it the lowest of 520 the highest 610 all mm-hmm. of these songs would have been better as you know three and a half to four minute songs and you know how i know that because they give me um burn up at yep. three minutes and 45 seconds and i think it it snaps off the page when it comes in um, quite a bit so yeah and and in like songs like physical attraction that aren't as strong that six minutes yes. and 39 seconds really starts to feel a little bit lengthy so although i yep. do like i know it's chorus i think that's really great and think of mm-hmm. me that backing mm-hmm. beat reminds me of that song forget me nots do you know, you know that? oh yeah 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 okay. it's like the same yeah. exact tempo or whatever it's just like later used in the men in black theme song but it's it's once yep. you hear it i like couldn't get it out of my head yes. so the comparison that's uh yeah you know what the more i think about it josh the yeah you're right on that. yeah go that's back and listen to it and then mm-hmm. listen to the other song and it it sounds exactly the same um hmm. that part so well, how about unintentional that? maybe um but but or subconsciously intentional right? yeah yeah for sure what was it like that Led Zeppelin uh, thing we did, right? Where I think he wrote the same thing as somebody's like, I never heard it. It just you know, <laughs> yeah. crossed in my brain. So, yep. Um, okay. So um, big thumbs up for Josh, you know, relatively robust thumbs up for me and thumbs mm-hmm. in the middle for Matt. Fair yep. enough. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about Madonna down the road and it's, it's impossible to talk about the eighties or for that matter, pop culture of the last 30 years. I mean, like everyone in pop, Every, you know, it's. I don't feel like Madonna gets talked about as much anymore. Um, but isn't that kind of the life of every pop star to some degree? Like yep. that, you know, a couple generations out, um, you're there. But it, it is. It is a little weird to me that people, you know, kind of don't talk. Probably like the fact that she's still around, trying to connect through Instagram. Mm-hmm. Some might say uncomfortably but um <laughs> and putting out albums too right <laughs> and putting out albums yeah that yeah. actually are not too poorly reviewed either so mm-hmm. um i would be lying if i said i gave hard listens to her stuff of the last 10 years but you know before we do like a prayer i might do that just to kind of see you know what we're looking at but i'm pretty well familiar with madonna all the way through the early 2000s so um yeah same i think i probably stopped at ray of light mm-hmm. honestly but okay 
Um, well, speaking of bands that are absolutely massive, or artists, <laughs> I should say, in this case, a band that's absolutely massive in the 80s that somehow just don't get talked about really anymore in the popular uh, yep. consciousness, we are finally at what I think there's a very good argument to make is probably the biggest band of the 80s, would you say? You too? I, I, yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of. I think of... so, yeah stadium sales and just popularity record sales in general and just yeah and they they kind of come in in a way well and they come in i think at the exact beginning of the decade right 1980 so they Mm -hmm. they they are birthed in the 80s and you know they they exit the 80s i think um well let's let's see let's see if i could do the run off top of my head right you got boy i believe is their first one and then october Mm -hmm. you got war which is the album got, we're covering now. It's the war we're covering. An Unforgettable Fire, right, I think is next. Uh, no, there's and, one called Under a Blood Red Sky. Under I, a Blood Red Sky. Okay, gotcha. And then Unforgettable Fire. Mm-hmm, yep. And then Joshua Tree. Yep. And I believe that's it because I think Octung Baby's 90s, right? Uh, Rattle and Hum is 88. Uh, well, that's like a concert doc. Oh, kinda, is it? Okay. So it's, yeah, it's not really. Got it the same then, and like yes, under a blood right. red sky is also not uh like oh is a live album, album or something yeah i think it's yeah so it's i don't know if that's proper oh, so it's an ep interesting an ep yeah there you go so Got it. um so yeah that so that's the run we'll cover uh war we'll cover the unforgettable fire and we'll cover joshua tree i think in this decade so we're gonna go on the run of what's left so so yeah like we're getting you two right now um and and i'll let you run the numbers in a second but we're getting you two kind of as they're becoming a huge band i think famously joshua trees when they hit like the complete megastardom right but they're yeah. gradually they're gradually building to megastardom here and there's you know this album starts with two massive songs that we'll talk about in a second but before we go down that rabbit hole josh you want to run the numbers for us yep war by u2 released in 1983 it is the uh, fifth highest rated album of 1983 according to besteveralbums.com it is the 43rd best album of the 80s it is uh, U2's third best album of their 33 albums according to besteveralbums.com with the really? first yes with the first two being Joshua Tree and Actung Baby and Unforgettable Fire right behind it okay and then they U2 is considered the 24th highest ranked artist of overall artist rankings um, on besteveralbums.com. So that's pretty high up. Yeah. And uh, if you don't mind, I know I said earlier, we'll do first. Do you mind if I take the first take on this one? Because um, just to kind of throw some stuff out there, because I've been sure. talking for a while about like finding the, the U2 um, episode to be very interesting. But I, I think one thing that I want to start with is this is their third album, but like Bono's like basically like 23 still at this point. So they're like a really Jeez. young band yeah. still. You know what I mean? It's kind of crazy um, how young they are as artists. When you hear this um, album, you would not know that, I would say. <laughs> right. Yeah, because they are pretty tight on this album. Yes. And, uh, I, now, how familiar are you with the earlier albums, Josh? Like the earlier U2 albums, Poor This Boy and, and October? No, uh, not familiar. In fact, this is my first time listening to this album. Really? So you've yeah. never listened to? Oh well, then we got to start with you because, like, yeah. I know this album pretty damn well. Um, let, let's let's reverse it then. What were your thoughts? Um, I loved it. It was okay. shockingly good. 
Um, I was really surprised. I think YouTube YouTube's story arc over the years has kind of, you know, risen. I was going to say, fallen. why is it shockingly shocking to you? It's, it, it, that's really a testament to like what I'm talking about with YouTube's hard fall, isn't it? Yeah. Because no, for yeah. sure. I think you know you get a, you know, later on. Uh, late 90s and then early 2000s you kind of well the hear, apple thing didn't help them yes, getting that, loaded onto iphones yeah and some of even before that though the albums i think they just were not as well regarded as some of their earlier stuff and their sound kind of became i don't know more more stadium oriented um and, and bigger and maybe electronic focused um a little bit but I really stadium oriented songs on this album. <laughs> yeah. In well, my opinion. Yeah. I think it's so shocking to me because I only really know their their big singles and I've never okay. listened to their album before. And this album, uh, top to bottom, is is really solid. Um I, I was shocked at how tight they are as a band on this album. Mm-hmm. That was that that stuck out right away. Um the music is just um it just sounds good from a technical perspective it's really re- well produced that was noticeable right away um bono has such like a a power and emotion in his voice edge's guitar is like really great um and then the other big thing was their drummer is super mm-hmm. good on this album adam, adam clayton yeah. yeah and that was something i never really paid attention to or n- noticed about you two before um i really like the structure. Oh, of I'm all... sorry. What am I? I'm sorry. I said Adam. Adam... He's the bassist. It's no. It's Larry Mullen Jr. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, I, yeah. I was. I went quickly. I, so let me reverse that. Larry Mullen Jr. Yep. Yep. Um, and then I just kind of the songs are all uh, really well constructed together. They have interesting um, ways of intertwining the the drums and the guitars. They they incorporate these little things uh, in the percussion. Um, not just like regular drums, but also like, uh, I don't know, like cowbell or some sort of like sound like that in the background. They have, um, they change tempos uh, throughout the songs really well. And um, they just have really good beats overall, I think. Um, Another interesting, you know, like on a song like Red Light, they incorporate horns really effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, They kind of dabble these things throughout and they're not, overused or gimmicky they're just really um uh, integral or natural in 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 the structure of the songs and you know the two big the two big hits on here are um uh, sunday bloody sunday which is the opening track and uh new year's day which is the third track i think those are probably the two biggest songs for sure yeah the two most well-known songs for sure on here uh they were the although yeah they weren't the well they were pretty close new year's day was the first single it looks like according to wikipedia mm-hmm. and sunday bloody yep. sunday was the second along yep. with two Heartbeat is one two Heartbeat is one which i was yeah. gonna say is another pretty well-known song especially amongst you two fans yeah yeah but even that that song is one that i wasn't too familiar with so really that, okay I, I have really probably a surface level knowledge of u2's so is u2 kind of like how you described rem for you yes exactly that was the comparison i was thinking of i was like wow they're they are just really surprisingly um uh, good to me in a way that i i didn't expect i think i know Mm -hmm. joshua tree probably because that's always earmarked as their Mm -hmm. their 
you know, quote unquote best album or most well known. And I think that has the most familiar songs to a lot of people on it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I really, and I'll be interested to, to revisit that t- for comparison purposes, but I was really um, uh, struck by how, how much I like this right out of the gate. Well, I think a couple of things to, to talk about before I kind of get into mine that kind of go into things that might explain some things, Josh, mm-hmm. um, in terms of some bio right here. You mentioned the drums. Um, they actually had uh, Larry Mullen Jr. played the drums to a click track to keep time on this album. Oh, um, he'd never okay. done that before. And so that was uh, pretty, pretty famously, um, you two had gotten a lot of buzz for Boy... Um, they there was it was a well pretty well regarded album if kind of considered a little bit um, incomplete. I, the big song off that is "I Will Follow," which is a, a pretty mm. um, pretty big song. Um, mm-hmm. They released October, an album I do like, but that they they felt like you know in, in true U two form, like all of them were having like spiritual crises because you can't talk U two and not talk like. <laughs> like spirituality because like it's in all of their lyrics you know it's like yeah pretty notably a common through line um there's songs that seem to be about something else and then later bono and you know different people are, are kind of saying bono especially it's like this was about me and god you know what i mean or my relationship it's like well wait a second i thought it was about like you know northern ireland it's like well it was but it's really also about you know <laughs> to some degree like so there's like always a and that's not negative it's just sort of it's a it's a central theme to them to the yep. fact that almost at times like lyrically you two can come across like a christian band at times um and bono's not the only one by the way the the edge and um mullen also I, I think i think even before this they were like in this charismatic christian group in dublin oh, interesting. and kind of yeah and um they kind of like they always kind of question like wanting to be the central themes of U2, right? Or that spirituality, right? As well as like, we want to be the biggest freaking rock band in the world, which like all of them, I think, agreed on from like day one. Mm-hmm. And Bono sort of represents, like manifests as the persona of it. But I think it was something that all of them bought into. Um, like we want to be huge. And, be, and then later, like we want to be more than a band, which of course ended up, I think, hurting them as much as helping them. Like, it, it helped them until it didn't anymore, and then it hurt them, you know, when the, the tide turned. But in 80s U2, in this album, is still, like, the raw going-for-it U2. Optimistic, energetic, passionate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am familiar with U2, and I, I will often say, like, 80s U2 is a, is a phenomenal band. Like, yeah. their, their albums are all good. As, as you mentioned, they're tight, um, the edges guitar. I I love like his guitar tone. I always have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a ringing nature to his guitar. Um, it's not jangly, but it does some of the same things that jangle guitar does. But uh, I just have always loved the how it sort of weaves in and out of you know Bono's urgent sort of desperate voice, mm-hmm. which is on display right here. Yes, as you mentioned, yeah, and this out. I, I actually think Adam Clayton is a, is a really good basis in the context of what U two does too, because you can't really have a basis that runs to the front when you're competing against that guitar and you're competing against you know Bono's voice and charisma. So I always felt like his his bass works well, and yeah, the the drum beats in this poke through kind of like Edge's guitar. You know, like weaving in and out of you know Bono's voice in the production, and uh, the uh, the production is uh, Steve Lillywhite, 
Oh, okay. Um, who we've talked about before. And yeah, he um, he notably uh, did all of U2's first three albums. And he had a rule that he never worked with an artist more than twice, but he he broke it for U2 uh, for this album, wow. for War. So, yeah. And, um, uh, you know, before this, I think they, they didn't think... They kind of had a crisis of confidence, too. They weren't so sure they were going to hit it big and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They kind of had some shows they didn't love. And this is where they sort of doubled down with the idea of, like... We're gonna do a great next album, and uh, and they did, um, and you know uh, the album kind of it, it was reviewed better than U two. I think rock critics have always had a difficult relationship with some elements of U two because there's an earnestness to U two that rock critics tend to hate, right? And like a like and <laughs> yeah. like a like a uh, I, I, I here's a good question for you too. Like, it, it, is U two cool, right? Like, because we're thinking of them like in the era when they kind of got old and less cool. Right. But like eighties, you too did have the like coolness, like they were ma- mainstream and, you know, and, and there was a time when like Bono's humanitarianism and stuff was sort of looked at as, you know, making a modern rock star. Right. And was not sort of like a meme, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Then, right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I and, don't view this album as, as too earnest in any mm-hmm. sort of way. I, I think it does sound, I mean, the, just the quality of the music really, is enough for me to to i mean were they at this point were they even getting some of that kind of negative feedback on being earnest or that their perception i mean there were some critics that always felt they were a little too you know on the news mm-hmm. right and the lyrics mm-hmm. you know kind it's like the the lyrics are very straightforward um okay. uh, bono uses a lot of like allegory right but his allegories very easy to piece through at times like when it's not it's kind of like you can always default to like it's about his mother or like you know god right and you're usually right most of the time and and, you know then there's stuff like i think new year's day is about the solidarity movement that's you know behind yeah i don't know how familiar you are with that but yeah pope john paul came out of that and like catholicism and stuff like that so and like nuclear proliferation you know is mentioned a couple times and that's the theme so and but it's always sort of like in a biblical contest right so (laughs) i don't want to overdo that but you know that i think sometimes it's like yeah yeah but another thing i want to mention is the fact that um that this album is pretty clearly designed to be played in big venue. It's like their stadium album. Yeah. And like that, you know, it right off the bat, there's like two stadium anthems. And I think maybe not having been as familiar with earlier U2, there aren't songs that pop quite like that. Like the big hits like Gloria and mm-hmm. October and I will follow right They're They're big songs and they're singles, but they're, they, they're not like stadium it's kind of almost like the who with who's next right where it's like yeah they're clearly writing these songs to play in front of you know yes i mean sunday you know, Monday sunny people. has yeah. this epic feel to it right from the yeah the start of the song yeah that big sound you know the yeah the drum yeah the 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 kicking drum beat into it yeah so um but yeah i i'm glad that you felt that way josh because i've always felt that as you two kind of lost their luster as a big band it became sort of it crossed a rubicon where like people would kind of like roll their eyes at some of the stuff and kind of say oh maybe they're not doing their best work and and kind of like you two as a band kind of got disregarded yeah um mm-hmm. I, I mean the biggest difference between them and rem is that even though rem kind of declined at the end they didn't decline so precipitously that they had this other period right where they stuck around they just kind of disappeared you know whereas you two kind of didn't they kept trying to make albums and mm-hmm. And, and be in the presence and, you know, they had some missteps. But I, I think because of that, it became 
easy and lazy to kind of discount like what great work they were doing in the 80s and and they really were because it's a really good album um and it's and it's good from start to finish by the way there are not really weak tracks on this album no i agree uh, yeah and the deep cuts uh which i guess would be for people that aren't familiar with you two would be anything outside of the first you know two tracks on the album for sure i mean there's refugee i really liked yep refugees good any other tracks stand out to you because i've got a couple of my own that i love but um uh, that one and two hearts beat is one those are the mm-hmm. two other big standout ones for me which kind of is like a single yeah, yeah. too in some ways but i i've always been um a, a pretty big fan of of surrender as well mm-hmm. it's a little mm-hmm. bit longer um and it's female singer in that one too a, yep if there's there's yep. a female singer in it as well um i apologize for not having available who that was i'm curious to see if it was somebody of note let me take a look to see if we can look at the the tracks uh, here backing yeah the backing vocals on that song yes. is by the coconuts the coconuts uh, that's what they're uh you know named interesting cheryl poirier adriana kagi taryn hagee okay. and jessica felton they were backing okay. vocals on not only surrender but like a song in red light also mm. okay. okay well let's give a shout out to that one to make sure yep. they got they got shouted out as well so yeah good stuff um but yeah i think it's very interesting um as i have it up right now uh, because there's a couple of other thoughts i want to think but you said what was the reception to this so it's kind of let's go into some names that we know right here's rolling stone says the album's musical strengths are largely the product of well-honed arrangements and carefully balanced dynamics which exactly what i think is pretty fair (laughs) yeah carefully balanced dynamics is a good way to describe the interplay Mm -hmm. of the instruments and i hope we kind of did a a good enough job of explaining how everything fits in a little bit i i know i'd said kind of the bass in the background, you know, the drums and the guitar weaving around Bono's voice in the production. Is there anything else sonically that you would like to mention in that balance? No, I think I think I just think Bono's voice probably doesn't get enough credit nowadays also. I think mm-hmm. he oh, yeah. works really uh well in the context of the song. He doesn't have a his voice has a unique um well, it breaks on power tune, to it, which is yeah. hard, which is an incredible thing, mm-hmm. right? Like you can get it to the push it to the point of breaking, but it stays on tune. That's it's hard to explain how difficult that is to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just um, it's it's uh, I mean, I guess his voice has an earnestness to it, but it it works for me um, in the context of this album. So, so Dave Mars says. It did not match the pure chilling intensity of Boy, okay. uh, and that Lily White did not give the guitars enough prominence. However, he did say there is a passion and commitment and potent yes. songs. Robert Criscow says, quote, the deadly European virus that's always tainted this band turns out to be their charismatic, <laughs> melodic device. Okay. So, wow. um, and, and so that's a little rough. It's And his... This is, I think, a little unfair, too, but he says, The Edge becomes a tuneful guitarist by the simple expedient of not soloing, and if Gabbano has too many Gregorian moments, his conviction still carries the music. Okay. It's a little, it's a little <laughs> rough right there. So yeah. um, let's look for one or two other ones. So NME made a parallel between boy and war, and I know you said you haven't heard boy yet, but yep. that's I think it's very... Um, it's very, there were a lot of times, I think, where people compared those two albums and tended to like Boy a little bit better. Um, mm. I think they, they kind of say it um, was a little bit, ran a little bit more hot. 
Um, I don't know if I'd totally agree with that, to be quite honest. Um, I think they're both very good albums. Um, but yeah, there's also people that said it's their most consistent album yet, full mm. of plaintiff lyrics and fiery guitar work. And uh, the one thing they say is the lyrics are a little heavy handed. You hear a couple times, too. But yeah, I mean, but that's to some degree, that's part of U2's charm. They're not trying to they're not trying to right. be too clever. They are earnest. And I, I appreciate the earnestness. Yeah. And I'll be interested now to hear what Matt has to say, because I would say that both you and I say that Matt's earnest at we, we yeah. different yes. times, right? So Did Matt pick Matt's up thoughts? on the lyrics? Let's see. Let's, uh. Of course he didn't pick up on the lyrics, but like... It even sounds earnest, though, I yes. think. So what does uh, Matt say? Well, Matt said um, that New Year's Day is the best U2 song ever. Um, so he really liked that. I all mean, it's a great song. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go so far as to say ever. All, yeah. all, all four parts of the album shine and stand out, or the songs shine and stand out on their own. The addition of the keys adds another layer, and the production solidifies as an all-time classic for him. The rest of the album is okay. full of energy, and Bono's vocals are awesome. And he mm -hmm. also didn't really know this album before this week. I, I remember he told me he's not super familiar yeah. with you two, both you guys. So that's why I was kind of curious about when we covered them. Because I, I kind of, once again, it's kind of shocking to me that like REM, you guys, like just you two didn't really track for you guys. Because yeah. I'm like, my God, they're a freaking huge band. Like huge to the point where like I felt I had to know them growing up, you know, mm -hmm. like to, to understand you know what they were before i made a judgment on them so yeah but uh from top to bottom he really liked the album not a bad song on it and a big thumbs up mm -hmm. from him so he liked yeah it, it doesn't surprise me though because like i said i think it just became one of those things where it it became trendy to kind of say oh you know you too you know blah 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 but like they're a remarkable band and, and maybe part of my you know while they're not one of my favorite bands in the world um, they're a band that I consistently enjoy most of what they've recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, even if at times I can say, all right, well, that's a little, you know, it's a little much or the persona or the show is a little grandiose, but, um, you know, you can't deny the fact that I, I've always thought the edge is a very underrated guitar player. Um, and yeah, like you said, as a front man, there's few frontmans with frontmen with more charisma, and and you know what's really interesting about Bono is a lot of times when we describe charisma in a frontman, right? It's like in a male frontman, mm -hmm. it's kind of couched in like sex appeal, right? And and I'm not taking away from you know the the merits of you know <laughs> Bono's sex appeal to some, but his charisma doesn't really radiate from that domain, right? Right. It's mm -hmm. he's got a can't take your eyes off him way, but not in sort of like a Mick Jagger, you know uh type way right where yep. jim morrison you know um uh, led zeppelin you know type way his is it, it, you're drawn to it by like a, a different type of charisma mm -hmm. yeah, yeah that's yeah that's a good point um have you ever seen you two live i have not actually believe it or not they're yeah. They're one of the few bands that I would have liked to have seen live that I have never seen. Interestingly enough, um, I'd probably put them in the top three on that list. And and another band we're going to cover tonight, Iron Maiden, is another band hmm. that I actually have never seen live, believe it or not. So they would they would both be in my top three bands I never saw. I was any band that I could have seen live, right? I for the most part have been able to say I've seen them, but right, you too. Uh, well, or some version of them, right? Yes. <laughs> Not necessarily the one I wanted to see, but sometimes right. I saw it. But yeah, U2 would have been one that I would have liked to have seen. 
um, but did not have, I, obviously I don't think you have, right? No, no. Yeah. I, I never, I'm not a huge, uh, you know, by the time I would have seen them, they would have been super yeah. huge. And I would, I don't think I ever would have gone to like a big stadium arena show like that. Okay. Even so. for a band you loved. Yeah. Even for bands I love, I like, sm- I like the smaller venues. Intimate. And, yeah. Yep. You want to so. you want to have uh, Bono <laughs> sing directly into the eyes <laughs> yes. for passion. I want to okay. be able to see them, uh, you know, relatively close. I guess ultimately. Um, That's fair. I can't yeah. say there's anything wrong with that. So, All but right. yeah, um, this one's a pretty strong thumbs up for me. How about your thoughts? Same. Yeah, thumbs up for sure. Okay, and now we go to Howard Jones. No, nope. artist... Iron Maiden, right? Oh, we go to Iron Maiden. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. okay. I think in the initial, I, I thought yeah. you switched it up on me, Josh, because you skipped <laughs> no, it. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll adjust. So Iron Maiden, Power Slave. Um, second time we're covering Iron Maiden. We've previously yep. covered the number of the beast. Last this day. is Iron Maiden's fifth album. Um, we So it started off um, uh, without Bruce Dickinson, right? As we mentioned before, for the first two albums, yep. and that would have been the self-titled and Killers would have been those two albums. Uh, Number of the Beast would have clocked in as the third album that we covered, and actually they did Peace of Mind, which actually I'm kind of shocked we didn't cover. Yeah, because um, that's also great. <laughs> yeah, well, a Peace of Mind um, in between, and I think most notably, uh, Peace of Mind brought. Uh, the Trooper and Flight of Icarus, right? Those yes. are the two mm-hmm. big big hits off that one. So if you're trying to figure out where your Iron Maiden tracks come in, right, that's that's where they clock in in 1983. And yeah, in 1984, we get Power Slave, complete with Eddie the Pharaoh on the, the front oh, yeah. cover, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> great album cover. Yeah, okay. Well, most of them are for Iron Maiden. Yeah. But go ahead and run the numbers, uh, Josh, and I will I'll give you the first take on this one. Yep, Power Slave by Iron Maiden from 1984. It is the 10th highest rated album of, of 1984. It mm-hmm. is the 59th highest rated album of the 80s. It is Iron Maiden's second highest ranked album out of 36 albums on besteveralbums.com with the number one being Number of the Beast. And Iron Maiden is ranked in their overall rankings as number six uh 96 in the overall artist rankings okay big difference six to yes. 96 <laughs> still top 100 of all time mm-hmm. so which may surprise some folks but what do you think josh power slave so i mean i love this album it's 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 almost like iron maiden really kind of up the ante in terms of grandiosity and, and yeah i've always kind of described this as their masterpiece this yeah. album i think this is the most iron maiden the iron maiden you will ever get is this yeah album. it's yeah. it's so um i mean a perfect example of that is rhyme of the ancient mariner um the yeah, last 13, track on the album. all 13 minutes and <laughs> yeah. 36 seconds of it yeah they, you know they take a an old poem and yeah. put it <laughs> put it to music i think coleridge right is it a coleridge yeah. poem yeah Oh geez, I don't know. Um, I think yeah, I think it's, it's 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 Coleridge. Yeah, I'm a poetry guy, so yeah, it's it's Coleridge. But um, yep. it is, you know, there's multiple movements of that. They they just go really hard, um, but then they slow it down, and 
it, it's just almost kind goes of, silent at one point, basically yeah, for like yep. a twenty-five second period. Yeah, it's it's just kind of an encapsulation of what I think they were striving for um, in taking metal music. It's kind of the prog gosh, rock. Yeah, it is like the prog rock, rock of yeah. metal, really. Yep. Um, and but it's in such a fun way. Um, it, they the opening track "Aces High" is a favorite mm-hmm. of mine. The you know they covered like about seven thousand times by every metal <laughs> yeah. band on earth. Yeah, it, it's just and they're they're taking these big themes too. I think that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. The you know Aces High is about fighter pilots. Yep. So on some level, it's like these broad themes. Like no one no one else is writing about fighter pilots that I've heard about, but they are. When Bruce Dickinson <laughs> literally soars in the sky <laughs> yes. on that one set of vocals. Yeah. yeah. Like way high up there, you know. Yep. So, yeah. They're still mm-hmm. commenting on things like war um, yep. and, and annihilation and apocalypse on a song like Two like, Yeah, nuclear midnight. fallout, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then later on in the album, they go to Flash of the Blade and the Duelists, which are about yeah. like knights <laughs> and and combat <laughs> on like one on one level. So they're really yeah. just taking these somewhat romantic ideas too yes. of of uh, literary themes and. And, well, uh, I mean, they went all the way to t- doing Coleridge, right? <laughs> right? I mean, you can't pick a poet who's more in line with that. Yeah. So yeah. So it's it's um, you know, top. It's it's epic in scope. The songs are longer overall as a result from Number of the Beast. That might detract from some people, but if you're on the Iron Maiden bandwagon, I don't see how you wouldn't wouldn't like this um, song or this mm-hmm. album as a whole. I. Um, you know everything they do they do bigger the guitars are somehow bigger mm-hmm. they're they're kind of just more i keep coming back to that word but epic in scope the the song mm-hmm. structures themselves are are more fleshed out and and um operatic uh would be another way to describe it and it just i mean it just works um overall top to bottom i don't really have I would say I like Number of the Beast more. I think that's the first Iron Maiden Ooh. album I heard, and I kind of like the more concise nature of it. And um, some of those songs, like I said on that review, are some of my favorites of all time. I'm I'm a little less. Uh, I think I've listened to this album a little less than some of the other ones. So, um, you know, I always pick out tracks that I like, but um, top to bottom, I probably listen to this album as a whole less. But it's just it's just more great um, uh, metal, and it's it's such an interesting counterpoint to when we talk about ride the lightning too, as to what mm-hmm. metal can can uh, as a genre can encompass or put on display. Um, so eighty yeah, four was a damn good year for metal, wasn't it? Yeah, yep. yeah. So I I really really like this one. Thumbs up for me yeah this is my favorite maiden album i mean most of the 80s i mean first of all you you didn't even talk about power slave which is like (laughs) to me the ultimate maiden song with the triple guitar attack that literally is like to like a pharaoh sound which is like the ultimate encapsulation of like awesome guitar work but also somehow staying in theme with the actual sonic ballad of it while they're talking about like slavery in egypt you know Mm -hmm. back in the in the days and of course that leads into rhyme of the ancient mariner which is both awesome and ridiculous at the same time which is kind of what metal should be Mm -hmm. Uh, like a certain type of metal should be awesome and ridiculous at the same time but yeah so i i did 
I would be hesitant to not mention Power Sleeve, which is just a freaking incredible song uh, that we didn't get around to. And um, like, I think in some ways, if you told me to direct, if you told me to direct people to Maiden, a lot of the songs I'd direct them to would be on this album. I mm. think like Two Minutes to Midnight is like completely yeah. accessible. I'm pretty sure Matt credits that song with being the one that and Ace is High. I think the first time we on Halloween, which is coming yep. up, it's kind of interesting. He he credited those two songs as being the ones that are like, damn, this is good when we saw like an Iron Maiden tribute band. Right. And they're both on this album. And then, you know, like I said, Power Slave was when I was growing up, there were all kinds of Maiden songs, but the one that I always was like, oh, God, I wish I'd played this song. Like, I also think Bruce Dickinson, as great as he is, like, I don't know if he was ever better vocally than he was on this album, because he's just, like, in the stratosphere, like, range-wise, yeah. and the production's crisp and clean. I, I also think the solos on this album are probably my favorite solos on any I mean, it's hard to pick, because every Maiden album has them, but I just think from start to finish... Um, this is the tightest um, and, and like best Maiden album. And and I love Number of the Beast, don't get me wrong. And I actually, I'm a very big fan of their first two albums as well. And, and they'll do like Seventh Son later and, you know, Peace of Mind before. They're all great albums. But like, I think really um, this one is the one that, that puts it all together for me. And, and as we say before, Maiden doesn't necessarily vary what they do a lot but i but i do think there's more variation in them than somebody like say acdc yeah where it's kind of the same template whereas here you know they're adding sort of um they're like routine men but they're not routine men where they don't reinvent their routine and throw in twists and turns a little bit at different times as well um and so you kind of like it's unmistakably an iron maiden sound but like i said before the the, the sort of the egyptian theme of power slave or they're also very good at, at making guitar riffs that almost are like onomatopoeias for like mm, the sounds mm -hmm. that they're like air air you know aircraft fighting or like sword <laughs> yeah. sounds or <laughs> you right. know like oftentimes if you're like hearing what's being talked about or different stuff the guitar kind of sounds like what they're talking about um which i always appreciated about iron maiden because like it gives another like it gives a lot more re-listenability but this is a this is like basement music. Like I can, I mean, I grew up listening to Iron Maiden in basements, right? Mm -hmm. Like usually of the, the, like off mixtapes or or cassettes, right? Of older brothers of friends of mine, you know, that we would just sneak in and you, we could grab a couple things without them noticing it. It's like grab Power Sleeve, you don't have anything <laughs> from Iron Maiden, and yeah. you know, put it on. And then you know we're down there playing video games just rubbing around and you've got you know these tracks like bombing in the background mm -hmm. and you know it's great cruising music as well um and just you know it's it's feel good music for me so and if you yeah. like playing air guitar <laughs> it's great to play air well guitar. there's the, of course there's the triple guitar attack <laughs> yeah. on this like all i mean all over this album i mean it's on all maiden albums but like this one i mean is is such a big guitar album mm -hmm. it's you know um and like you said, it just, it amazes me. I, I think if Iron Maiden had been called something else, there's like a whole, as popular as they are, there's like a whole nother level of people that might've discovered how awesome they were. I can't tell you, there's multiple people over the years I've talked to, including Matt, I think, that I've kind of said, you know, they've listened, I've kind of said to them, you know, Iron Maiden's pretty awesome. You should listen to it. Like, ah, I don't know. And I think some of it's because of their name, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if they were named something more generic, right? I think a lot of people would not think of Iron Maiden 
they hear Iron Maiden, right? They think they're going to be like super heavy, like, you know, right, they're going right. to sound like Slayer or something, <laughs> yeah. right? But, <laughs> yeah. but instead, they're like this very, mal- they're, they're more queen at times than they are Slayer, you know, or Prague. Yes, rock. there's definitely like that show, showmanship yeah. quality to their, to their music yeah. and to their act, their stage act. Yeah, I mean, they're still playing live to this day with yep. most of them, like, and, and still sounds good, unlike most artists that are they're tripping around. So what did Matt say about this album? Matt said another kick-ass metal album with no okay. filler, great riffs mm-hmm. and great and guitar solos. It's hard for him to differentiate Maiden albums as they all kind of stay in the same lane, but they. Do I don't agree so- with that totally on this album. Would you? Mm-hmm. I, I think this album sounds different than Number of the Beast, uh, th- for me. Yes, I think so. Um, yeah, but they do it so well and still find ways to make different songs stand out. Dickinson's voice is great again. And for me, they are one of the best metal bands out there. Thumbs up mm-hmm. from him. Yeah, I think this is a lot. I'm surprised Matt didn't draw to six. I think this album's a lot more like proggy than mm. Number of mm-hmm. the Beast is. You know, the, I mean, they didn't have anything quite like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner on it. And Power Sleeve has like a lot of, and the Duelists, I think all of yeah. those songs have real elements of prog, you know, yeah. rock. No, or I guess sure. prog. I mean, the prog metal right you've got rush and then you've got this and you know you arrive later at like you know dream theater and bands like that um sepultura you know different stuff that are you know even like even in a lesser thing like queens reich and stuff that are kind of taking elements of metal right infusing Mm -hmm. it with prog and i i feel like that's what iron maiden's doing here a number of the beast i felt like they were pretty straight ahead the whole time yeah like the whole album was aces high right whereas this yep. starts with aces high and it's like all right so now we're gonna show you some other things yeah so or flash of the blade is another one that's very similar to number of the beast so yeah so it's great yeah listen to peace of up. mind too there's some some of my favorite songs are on that album i think oh, gotcha. i might so you... like peace of mind maybe slightly more than this album wow uh, okay so yeah. it would be this would be your third out of those three yeah i think the, these three are definitely my three favorites but I really guys, like, okay. so I really like where Eagles Dare. That's kind of like yeah. Aces High. And then Die With Your Boots On is another kind of great yeah. rollicking <laughs> fast song. So. Well, it's also when you hear these things, even if you've never heard the song, you can kind of like get an idea of what it's going to sound like. Because you just think of like, you know, Bruce Dickinson, like, Die With Your Boots On, you know, yeah. without even knowing it. You know what I mean? You can kind of like, kind of have a general idea what it's going to sound like if it goes fast or slow. So. Yeah. So yeah, heart, big thumbs up for me. For sure. Me too. And thumbs up for Matt as well. Okay. And now we're halfway through. We're going to Howard June, Humans Lib. Which, yeah. uh, are we, is that like a, a knock on women's lib or something that we pick humans <laughs> yes. lib? Is there, all humans is there matter. A, <laughs> are, we, are we in the manosphere here? Is that what we're going for? So um, what, uh, what are we looking at number wise, Josh? So Howard Jones Humans Live from 1984 is the 128th uh, best album of 1984, the 1,266th. 128th of that year? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. The 1,266th album of the 80s. The, um, it is the best album um, of Howard Jones's ranking and Howard Jones, as an artist, is ranked 3,623 of overall artist rankings. So, Howard Jones, not an artist I was familiar with, um, although I did recognize some of these songs once I heard them. 
You want a little bit of a bio courtesy of I'm going to I'm going to do it on the cheat here a little bit. But yeah. thank you, uh, Stephen Thomas Erlewine uh, for from all music for giving us some things. I apologize for being like being a C plus student here, if that <laughs> in terms of my research. But um, he says that uh, Howard Jones is one of the defining figures of mid 80s synth pop. He merged technology-intensive sound of New Wave with the cheery optimism of hippies and late 60s pop. He's from Southampton, England, where he learned to play the piano at the age of seven. He relocated with his family to Canada in his teenage years, where he joined a progressive rock band named Warrior. He makes his way back to England in the mid-70s, where he enrolls at the Royal Northern College of Music, but looks like apparently he dropped out and played with a variety of local jazz and funk bands. He then begins performing as a solo artist with just some synthesizers, drum machines, and himself, and becomes a one-man concert act. Wow. Um, okay. Interestingly, this says, Jones had a mime named Jed Hoyle perform <laughs> during okay. these one-man concerts. Wow. Interesting. Um, he's doing this, and apparently he attracts the attention of John Peel. Interest. Okay, that's very interesting. John Peel comes in, who offers the keyboard. Remember John Peel, right? He has that in, had that very influential show on the BBC, right? And so oh, he gets, mm-hmm. yep, he gets a BBC session, and uh, he becomes an opener for a lot of like new wave or synthy type acts. I guess maybe like new romantic and releases. It gets signed uh, by WEA. In 1983, uh, in Europe, and then obviously in America, he is, you know, like a lot of British acts, right? He has his like England and Europe, and then his American record company. He signs to Elektra in America, and he releases this album, Humans Lib, um, in spring of 1984, and it rises to number one in England. Um, and he actually um, uh, gets quite a bit of exposure on MTV, and they describe him as having a moderate set of hits in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. in 1984, which probably does, because, ex- yeah, I did know some of these songs, too, without realizing it. But, yeah, in a way that not like, oh, yeah, more like, oh, yeah, that's that's familiar, you know, mm-hmm. but not in like, yes. a, yeah, I would have known it. So that, I guess that's what moderate hits would be. So there you go, Josh. That's a little bit of a background for you. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah. So uh, in terms of this album, uh, obviously I had never heard of it before. But it really kind of, it's very 80s. I know we say that a lot, but... Uh, very the, synthy. Very yeah, synthy. The synth yep. reminds me of a certain type of like movie soundtrack. It's almost like any of these songs could be in Real Genius or Revenge of the Nerds or oh, any sort yeah, of okay. montage yeah. where they're where they're <laughs> training or trying to, you know, get back at the jocks or something. Or I think I saw that there was a Howard Jones song in Better Off Dead, which is a movie we both really like um so that's that type of that synth is like a very like specific 80s movie synth sound that that is recognizable to me it's almost like this is almost like robot pop in some ways like you know you have you have craft work and some of the the kraut rock on one end and like this is on the other end in terms of (laughs) robots making music or something robots Um, making music he is uh uh, the drum machine also comes into play a lot, I think, on this this album. It uh, the songs that I recognized were "What Is Love" and mm-hmm. um, uh, "New Song." And uh, if you heard what it, I, I imagine, if somebody heard the chorus to "What Is Love," you would 
you would recognize it as well. It, the other distinctive sound I picked up on on that track is the, it's almost like an electronic didgeridoo. There's like this really hollow, almost like you're blowing across glasses, like when you do when you blow into a bottle, it makes that that sort of hollow echoey sound that comes up on this track um, that I think appears over and over again later on in songs. Um, there's some synth almost like synth flutes or something in hide and seek it's it's very all electronic based at this point in in the 80s but not in a way that's uh like the kraut rock that we heard earlier on it's it's more akin to the you know some of the other electronic music like new order and um uh, simple minds and things like that that we've already listened to um equality was an interesting uh song that I hadn't heard before it's hard not it was hard not to tap my foot to the beat on that one and human's lib has kind of this gothic feel to it in a way um, it's like gothic synth so maybe a uh, similar not actually not at all like Bauhaus but um, uh, maybe a, a distant cousin to that in in some the- mm. thematic way I I didn't really pay attention to the lyrics too much i was trying to focus on the music it was it's one of those albums that falls really kind of in the middle for me i I enjoyed listening to it at the time but nothing really stuck with me the lyrics i would not say are a plus for the album (laughs) like they're kind of they're detract it's it's kind of like he's painting a picture a little bit like soliloquies but it's Mm. yeah I, i and I like the album, but yeah, the lyrics would, if you're looking at it from a lyric perspective, I don't know if that's the first place to start. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. is it, is it as bad as um, the AHA album? <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's not as bad. It's like, I think um, it's funny because I'm, um, I'm just, you know, to try to add some more context, I'm trying to put some things in. And a lot of times the people reviewing it are describing the lyrics as glib, which I mm. think is, is like three different times people used glib. So I think, and that's a pretty, I mean, there's a reason they use that three times because yeah. there, there is an element of that. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pleasant enough, but I didn't, um, I, this wasn't a discovery for me on the, the level of some of the other albums, um, in weeks past, or even kind of on the level of you two this week. Uh, I, I wasn't like, I'm glad to know the name now, I think, not to put a name to those those kind of moderate hits as we <laughs> describe them. But uh, I guess... As a moderate hit podcast, we yeah. can appreciate <laughs> them. Yeah. The, um, it's, it's just good to know, I guess, another kind of functionary in the electronic music pop mm-hmm. soundscape of the 80s, ultimately. But I wouldn't this is not a go-to album by any, by any means, but what did you have any experience about Howard Jones outside? No, (laughs) not, not really. And not even as many songs as I think you and Matt have identified. as knowing. I have to, I have to admit that most of the songs on this album were, were first years for me. It feels Mm -hmm. like what is love is the one where I did recognize it somewhat. Um, I think that I actually enjoyed this album. Um, I wouldn't say it's like enjoyed it in the, whoa, what a grand discovery way. But um, mm-hmm. I thought it was actually a very pleasant listen orally. 
A U R A L L Y, as opposed to not like you know, yes, O R A L. Um, I was curious though, because like the thing I just kept writing down over and over again is like it's impossible. This is like pure synthesizer. There, I mean, there's like sax in the background, but like the the music on this, and that's it makes sense. He was a one man show because it's it's drum machines, it's keyboard, it's synth, it's all stuff that you could see like one person programming um, at the same time, and so it got me curious, like. I was like, I wonder what synthesizer he used. And then I looked at like what equipment was used. And here we go. The Roland Jupiter 8, the Roland Juno 60, the Yamaha DX7, the Sequential Circuits Pro 1, the Sequential Circuits Profit <laughs> 7 8, the Moog Prodigy, second Moog of the week right here. Yeah. The Roland TR808 drum machine, the Emu Drumulator drum machine, <laughs> the Lin <laughs> drum machine, and the Simmons SDSV drum module. So, um, and there's actually some real drum samples on as well from an AMS digital delay. So, I mean, I was thinking like what synthesizer or maybe uh, synthesizers, right? <laughs> yeah. Like two, and it ends up being something All like ten, like a bunch of synthesizers and a bunch of drum machines, right? And, and I think that does kind of encapsulate what this is because mm-hmm. it's it's synthesizer heavy, but it's different types of synthesizers. So some of the tracks become very drum oriented some of them i guess what you would call a little bit more of the mellow tracks um you know dance away from the drum element and become purely electronic sounding i would say without the the drum machines weaving in and out of them as much Mm -hmm. um i the songs that that spoke to me a little bit more than i like the first track conditioning quite a bit um i thought it was a, a really good opener Yep. Um, it caught my attention. I, I also liked uh, Don't Always Look at the Rain was a track uh, that sounded, as mm-hmm. I mentioned before, the um, the the lyrics didn't do much for me. The, the band I wrote down, and it's funny because I actually see one critic bring it up here as well, but there was like an element of super tramp to this to me which hmm. I found, but I actually liked it a little bit better than I liked either Super Tramp album that we did. Uh, I just thought the feel of the album, uh, especially like Breakfast in America, like yeah. that some of what this sounded like sounded like Breakfast of America. Um, but um, th- there's, uh, we also have mentioned there's a lot of keyboard on this album. Yep. So yeah. Um, and in the Josh Danceable <laughs> scale, because I know you have to dance ability is something you mentioned a lot. You've got ESG one at one end. <laughs> yeah, ESG would be like 10, right? Yeah. And then I, I like, I don't know what would even be one. What's like devoid of, you know, Gregorian chant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah something, something completely rhythmless. You know what I mean? But yeah. like, where would this fall on the, the Josh spectrum? Oh, God. It's probably somewhere. Kill them all the... would probably be a, a one on the yeah. dance. But yeah. It's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah. You could definitely move to this. The, okay. uh, you know, it's in thinking of other electronic music, you, you referenced Lori Anderson last week and yes, um, this, this is, is not, not really like avant-garde. <laughs> this yeah, is, no. yeah, not like that. I was going to say as for a comparison point, you know, there is a range of, uh, electronic music too, in terms of accessibility. So this definitely falls in, in the more pop oriented, um, Simple Minds makes sense, yeah. but it's not even like Public Image Limited that's more like art rock with synth yeah. or even the well, it's not industrial that, like that way also. Right. Yeah. yeah, like um, that Joy Division, you know, New Order sound that doesn't yep. sound quite like, or, or stuff that came later, like um, it, it, 
like a Depeche Mode or something. It's, it has a little bit of what like Erasure does, but it's it's brighter. It's it's mm-hmm. it's bright synth pop, and so in that end, it's it's more um, Aha right or Flight of yep. Flash, a Flock of Seagulls right than it is, uh, or or Frankie Goes to Hollywood right. That's yeah. another very synthy album. I mean, thematically, it's more like love, 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 but um, as opposed to some of those other albums. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a brighter pop. Yes, um, I would agree. Than some of the other ones we talked about for sure. Yep. They're not, and he's definitely not trying thematically talking about other things like Frankie Goes to Hollywood is or... Well, yeah, no, uh, there's no, there's no sub, <laughs> subtext to any of this, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's fun. Um, yeah, perfectly pleasant. What did, uh, let's see what old Matt had to say about it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this album did very little for him. Mm. He, I generally have liked his stuff, but I only knew the singles... The only song I know in here was What is Love, and he likes that track, particularly the chorus. He also liked Hide and Seek. It was a bit mm, of a okay. dramatic and melancholy feel and was a nice contract to, contrast to some of the poppier stuff. He also liked New Song, which may be his favorite unknown track of the album. Great okay. synths and very danceable. I'm it's not the a first huge... single, by the way. Too. There's four <laughs> yeah. singles and New Song's the first one, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of some of the other synths, particularly on tracks like Equality and Humans Lib. He was expecting more from this record and was surprised that he was left nonplussed for the most part. Thumbs in the middle. Okay. So, well, I would say yeah. I'm thumbs in the middle too on this album. Yeah, I'm I'm thumbs in the middle as well. Some I found some a critic described the other see who the critic is because it's there. The the critic uh in Sounds Magazine, it looks like, okay, mm-hmm. the critic described, he said, this album is not an offensive record at all, but people should ask for something more demanding than aural air conditioning. That's how he describes it. <laughs> Whoa. Harsh. That's rough. I, think that's, I think that's a little bit harsh on this. Some of these folks were going for blood. But yeah, um, but yeah I, I, I felt a very enjoyable album, but but we're getting a lot of synths at this era, like a lot of synths to the point where like, I'm getting to the point now where you have to do something with the synths that stand out now because I've heard them so often right. um, in so many different contexts that if you're just doing pop music with synths, you're competing against, you know, Duran Duran and, you know, New Order and, you know, all these different bands and like, you know, I, I, I gotta like, you know, and, and not even to mention things like Prince and stuff like that. that mm you know, or integrating that sound that I feel like to stand out now, I I need a little bit more than the status quo, so to speak. And this is to me, the status quo of synth pop. Uh, That's not a bad thing, but yeah, it kind of does trot in that middle lane. Yep. So yeah, thumbs in the middle from all of us. Okay. So uh, I was going to ask you where you stand. So thumbs in the middle. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, Cocteau twins. An EP. Is this our first ever EP that we're doing right here? Yes, I think, I think so. Our I first so. ever EP. Um, well, why don't you go ahead and run the numbers? Because we've done Treasure by the yep. Cocteau Twins before, full album. So this is an EP. Yep. So Spangle Maker is, came out in 90, 1984. It is uh, the 345th top album of 1984. 
The... It's the Spangle Maker, by the way, Josh. <laughs> oh, not the, the Spangle Maker. Okay, the Spangle these... Maker, yes. Got it. Uh, the 3,668th album of the 80s. It is their 12th best ranked album out of 17 albums by the Cocteau Twins, with uh, number one being uh, Heaven or Las Vegas, which comes later in the decade. Um, actually comes in 1990 and then treasure is number two which we talked about 1984 this actually comes out right before treasure which we talked about a few weeks ago and do you remember why we put an ep on here by chance i felt like it showed up in one of the countdowns like best ever albums top 100 yeah yeah or maybe one of the um paste or pitchfork lists yeah possibly Mm -hmm. i think it's on that's on one of them yeah so it's four. I didn't just dig it. It's not a John's pick. It came in <laughs> no, one of those lists that we had. I'm not yeah. accusing it of being, but just... oh, I'm not. I'm not saying that negative. I'm just saying I know the ones I picked as like a John's pick, and yeah. just, because they were often ones that hadn't had another album covered, and I knew Cocteau Twins yep. was going to be covered. Yeah, so and so. Uh, a brisk uh, 18 minutes and 30 seconds uh, mm-hmm. for this one. It's four tracks and well, one more of the tra- like three, really. Yeah, yeah. One of the tracks is. There was a 12-inch version and a 7-inch version back when vinyl uh, had more. Also known as the John and Josh versions, I think, the 12-inch versus the 7-inch. Yeah, yeah. really. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Continue. And uh, so, um, yeah, and I think it's, you know, the Cocteau Twins in their kind of history or and I guess in a lot of bands' albums, the EPs also played an important role in in music releases, and not just the full length albums. This was, in my mind, definitely a prelude to Treasure. You know, having listened to this after Treasure, it seems like it's a a run up. It's very thematically the same, although um, I would say this is this feels a bit lighter in tone. This I think the one thing of note is this is the first album that came about after um, Simon Raymond joined the band, who was who okay. was, was replacing uh, Will Heggie on the bass, and also he added more multi instruments, uh, you know, to the to the repertoire of the band. Um, this album is still ethereal for sure. I, you still have kind of the um, the singing, the ethereal singing by by Elizabeth Fraser, but back. Does with... it feel more Scottish to you, like Scottish or hmm. Irish, like Upper U- United Kingdomy sounding to me than Treasure did? I, I felt that. Yeah, interesting. In in what mm-hmm. way can you like put a? a I don't know how to describe. That? It felt like being kind of like in like in a fog more so than even treasure did mm. it, it felt like uh you know on a cliff like overlooking you know a, a cold day with the mist kind of what i you know stereotypically imagine like scotland <laughs> yeah. or yeah you know like gray skies kind of um but not depressing more just sort of like tied to naturey type yeah yeah, so, this, yeah, that, yeah if we're gonna use especially pearly dewdrops i yes. felt like really yeah I think that was my maybe favorite track on this of the mm-hmm. four. Um, the 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 twelve inch version I think I liked better. The, uh, <laughs> the of course you did. <laughs> this <laughs> was the uh, 
uh, if I had to make a com nature comparison, this is like mist and treasures like fog to me. <laughs> so oh, this okay, is a, yeah. This is a bit lighter in tone. That's a I great think. comparison. Like That's, a really great comparison. And yeah. I'm not just talking about like the length of the album. I think this mm -hmm. feels a tad poppier in some ways. I, I agree. Yep. Yeah. And a tad more accessible. And I think that's what I responded to listening to it um, versus, you know, you can go listen to our review of treasure for my thoughts on that. But um, as a result, I think I like this album a bit more and, um, but it's still very similar to treasure in my mind. Um, it's not going to like change my opinion on the Cocteau twins, but I, d I did like it a bit more. Uh, the bass also on Spangle Maker, that was kind of like started the track, um, the title track, uh, the first track, and that stood out as being uh, kind of making a statement right off the bat with the bass. So, I, and I couldn't really, you know, the between the difference between the twelve inch and the seven inch version. I think that seven inch obviously has to be shorter. I think right. Seven inch is remarkably more popular on Spotify too. The seven inch has fifteen million eight hundred seventy thousand plays. The twelve inch has three hundred sixty three thousand. So, wow. Okay. Yeah, the seven inch is speaking to like fifteen times more people <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, weird. Um, I I really, it's only like a minute shorter. Um, and I couldn't say. I mean. I should have listened to them back to back, but I can't really remember what the strong difference is between the two. So, well, it's I'm, as much as the Cocteau Twins can be lo-fi, right? Like yeah. the seven-inch version is a little bit more, uh, I guess, modern production. But to I actually think it hurts the song a little bit. Hmm. Um, to me, I mean, it's a three. To me, this is a three-song EP, right? Sure. And there's a if we're going gold, silver, bronze, Pepper Tree is probably my favorite song on this album. There's just, there's, so all three songs are kind of like loops, right? It, it yeah. basically plays at extended form. So really what you're saying is what loop and, and sonic structure do I like? And, and they build on these loops, don't get me wrong, but there's a, there's an underpining thing that's going to run for a while, right? And then yep. toward the end, it sort of builds, there's a crescendo and then it's sort of, fades out in a lot of tracks and i think from that structure pepper tree is a very inviting track and i, and I like how they deviate the, the drum sound mm -hmm. quite a bit at different points uh pearly dewdrops is the song that sounds the most what i imagine sort of it sounds like a church's song um to oh, use a, a yeah. modern band right you know and and i i mean in what universe did churches not listen to these albums like a zillion times? I mean, my God, it's like the influence is clear as I yeah. listen to this. Aren't but they yeah. also from the UK? I can't remember. I've actually uh, churches, seen churches. I believe from Ireland. Okay. I believe they're yeah. from Ireland. Yeah, and so and I mean, uh, Cocteau Twins are Scottish, right? Right. So so yeah, same. Well, not same, but same neck of the woods kind sure. of same vibe. Same vibe to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, well, I, although I guess Ireland's that's probably like saying United, yeah, United <laughs> States and Canada, right? Like, yeah. it's, uh, same, but it's different. Yeah. Well, so, it's all part um, of Great Britain. Let's put it that way. But yeah, Pearly Dewdrops is is like a is more of like a, a an upbeat song. I feel almost like a like an ode to some degree. The mm -hmm. Spangle Maker, the first track, is is I find a little bit more ominous and hissing. Uh, that bass sort of wraps around. It's um, 
it sounds like it's being recorded in a cave at times is, is how I described it sonically. Yeah. Um, as we talked about before, I, I like this type of music as a vibe. Um, I, I experience it completely as a vibe. I will say that unlike Treasure, which sort of blended together into one piece for me, each of these three songs very clearly distinguished themselves from the other. It did not mm -hmm. go track to track and go together. Like I knew when Spangle Maker was done. I knew when Pearly Dewdrops was starting and done. I knew when Pepper Tree came in. Yes. And so I like that about it. And I think because I like that about it, this one stuck with me a little longer than Treasure did. I still think I like Treasure better because I think musically the highs were better and more mm -hmm. varied. Mm -hmm. um, but but like I said, I experienced it as almost like one piece of music with just different things, whereas this was three unique pieces. Yeah. Um, and so from that end, it might even have more realistability to me, even though I think Treasure might it is a better album. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that might if be that a reason sense. I liked yeah. it more too. I, I do feel like the three songs are diff distinct um, and kind of are going for different things. Uh, mm -hmm. So. Yeah, yep. no, I, I would agree. So I, I give this one um, a slight thumbs up um, would be my take. And, and I gave uh, Treasure a comfortable thumbs up. So to give you an idea of context, that's where I would stay. Yeah. It, and I'd, st I'd still say thumbs in the middle for me on, mm -hmm. on this band. But um, well, that's a big up from you last time, because last time it was decidedly, I think, down. Oh, thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, thumbs in the middle well, on this album. Well, what would Matt think of this one? Yep. Uh, he said uh, he thought it was odd that we were covering an EP, but he was interested to hear why we were. So we talked about that. But overall, he liked it. Um, a continuation of their previous album, but uh, still love the vibe. Sounds well, actually, start, start of the album. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Chronic, yeah. Uh, start, sounds ahead of its time. And particularly, he liked Pearly Dewdrops. I like the way he likes the way yeah. it builds, and he likes how they draw out the final code at the end. Uh, not sure two versions of the song needed to be included, but if you're going to do that, might as well be with a good song like this. Thumbs up. He liked it. There you go. I should also mention the Spangle Maker does sound like early Cure, too. Mm. I thought it had some, some similarities to... Yep. It's not as dark as anything on pornography, but it has a little bit of the same stuff that... A little bit that, that 17 Seconds had. Um, or wish so yeah and Fraser's vocals are still the same here she's still kind of singing not with actual lyrics I didn't pick up anything other than her repeating Spangle Maker um, a lot or Pearly Dewdrops I can't remember how I, I mean there's, remember. Uh, there's lyrics but it's not like it's not you know verses it's intelligible right? <laughs> like I can't I couldn't follow along if she were unless I had them in front of me but yeah it's not um, quite Enya yeah. you know like it, lyrically but it it it's similar in that the the content of the lyrics is less important than how yep. they sound with the the vibe, so yes. to speak, of the song. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so. that's like for for people that are trying to draw a modern comparison. Real estate and beach house are and churches, I right. think, are ones that would be good starts for you. Although churches has more lyrics, they have you know more verses than than this does. But um, just imagine sort of the spareness of you know, beach house and real estate with a little bit of uh, what churches sounds like at times. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Remember, mm -hmm. uh, Cocteau Twins started the dream pop subgenre, essentially. So, uh, Correct. as we yep. said before, uh, so 
if you like that vibe and um it seems like this oh, yeah this is... will go right to this will go right to your vein if you if yeah. you're a, if dream pop or, or stuff is you know your favorite type of music you know this is gonna yep. be yeah even if you like uh some of that like 90s trip hoppy you know electronic you know i'm thinking like uh, sneaker pimps right mm. stuff like that like i think this would be up your alley too yeah yeah good that's a good song that's yeah even if we go into too. like portis head or like massive attack and i think there'd be people that you know like that and then could easily dovetail mm-hmm. you know into this music as well so yep yep all right and now we are back at metallica ride the lightning josh and tell us tell us where we land in uh the the charts yes uh ride the lightning is metallica's second album we are going in order i believe the Mm -hmm. um from 1984 it is the uh second highest rated album of 1984 it is the 21st ever albums yep yes uh the 21st highest rated album of the 80s it is metallica's uh, second highest ranked album um, of their 24 albums with Master of Puppets being one and uh, Kill Em All, which we covered last week, is number five. And Metallica is ranked the 41st highest rated artist in overall rankings by Best Ever Albums. Okay. Well, how familiar were you, Josh, with Ride the Lightning? Um, I, I definitely listened to it before, but it's been so long that mm-hmm. I essentially forgotten it. And I definitely appreciated listening to, um, uh, well, let's, the previous Metallic album last week, um, in comparison to this one. Well, let's invert the structure because Matt, I think had the least familiarity with this era of Metallica, right? Yeah. If I knew it a lot and you knew it a fair amount, he didn't. Let's start with what Matt thought of this album and we'll, okay. we'll riff off of that. Does that work? That sounds good. So uh, the ghost of Matt says what? He says he had a similar reaction as he did with Kill em All, but I can hear really? their sound getting more mature here. Standouts okay. include Fade to Black, which seems like their first attempt at a Metallica ballad, even though it's not a true ballad in the traditional sense. He loves Call of Cthulhu as well, especially the guitar tones at the very end. Crazy fast musicianship all over the place, chock full of energy and aggression. It was interesting including this along with Maiden this week for two different takes on metal. And -hmm. while he loves both, he thinks Maiden sticks out as being slightly more enjoyable for him, mainly because of the stronger melodic tendencies. But I, he still loved listening to this as well, and he's definitely more into Metallica now than he was just a few weeks ago. Thumbs up. I think it's interesting he doesn't describe this as as melodic because I think I found it very melodic. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Matt has his taste. You know what I mean and his preferences. I mean, it's not and, as so, melodic yeah, as yeah. as Iron Maiden, but it's... no, but like I, it's not like apples and oranges either. There's like a lot of melody on this yeah. album. I feel like, and we'll talk about. But what what do you think? I guess we we probably could talk about it in general, and I guess yeah. what we're going to be doing with Metallica is we're going to be able to compare and contrast the entire run of the '80s albums. So mm-hmm. we're doing this with Kill 'Em All, you know, having been covered. So thoughts? yeah, I I really like this album. It's um, I liked it more than Kill 'Em All. I. Um, can see the growth of the band here they're definitely trying to expand their sound and branch out i mean the biggest 
uh, evidence of that is their incorporation of acoustic guitar in some parts um, and kind of acting as preludes or almost intermissions on some of the songs. I think they are getting more ambitious in terms of um, their song structures and their, um, their themes and also kind of the, um, the way their songs, um, the way the music plays out in the song, I guess that gets to structure. I mean, in some ways that is similar to, to, to the, to power slave in terms of, I think they are trying to go for more and, and, uh, maybe channeling that anger in a different way than on kill em all, where I think is kill em all is like this, this just almost like teenagery statement of I'm angry in a lot of ways. And, and this is how, but it's like, like a punch in the face. And this is more of like, they were uh, even cal- trying calculated. to do some of, <laughs> <laughs> they were even trying to do some of those like metal themes, like of fantasy and yeah, you know the horse. There's none of that on this album. No, like this is all personal narrative. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, there's ang- angry male. Still, yeah, like alpha angry male. You know, so yeah, yeah. But it, it's it's it sounds more mature in some ways. It sounds oh, yeah. more uh, thought out, or or um, you know, the songwriting I think is has matured i think you know not only the acoustic guitar but they're incorporating some sound effects effectively obviously like the bells on for whom the bell tolls would be the classic example um but uh and creeping death that reminded me of a black sabbath song i think the start of that uh, really resonated with me the um there's melody all over the place in this album more that more so than in kill them all uh although this the <laughs> i think it's like uh, putting the acoustic so the opening track is fight fire with fire and they have like a nice gentle acoustic guitar to start with that and then somehow it like goes even harder than the first album on that track yep. i feel yep. like <laughs> it, it might just be in comparison to the acoustic guitar but that song just is like a real wake-up call um to start the album there's a great drum part they're incorporating some evil sound effects or you know an evil like demonic laugh into it as well Um, ride the lightning has this complex guitar to it and um overall like top to bottom i kind of and i really liked kill them all i i found this like a much more um attention grabbing listening uh experience and just kind of more enjoyable overall so yeah thumbs up for me yeah i think this is a large step for i i like kill them all but this is like where metallica starts to become like a band that you listen you go whoa like Mm -hmm. this is this is this is a band that has chops that transcend them from their genre right and like i i really do think it's stark when you listen to this album um to see the step forward they took um you mentioned a lot of the reasons why i mean you know, you, uh, Matt's not wrong that it's the first delve into a, you know, a ballad and you mentioned the acoustic guitar and stuff, but like Lars never sounds better on the drums than he sounds on this album. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just absolutely murdering the drums on this. Uh, he's just hitting them extremely hard. Yeah. Uh, this version of Metallica is probably my favorite version of the band that the Hetfield, you know, lead guitar and, um, you know, uh, 
uh, excuse me, guitar and, and vocals. You know, you've got Kirk Hammett here, fully established. You've still got Cliff Burton on the bass, and you've got Lars, you know, on the drums. Yep. And to me, you know, there's a lot of good versions of Metallica, but to me, and this one would stay for Master of Puppets too, so these two. But um, mm-hmm. For Whom the Bell Tolls is is just an incredible song. It's in my top three Metallica songs. And I know it's it's one of their biggest hits, but it's it's that good. Yep. It's just the, the crashing, you know, um, drums and guitar and just the, the build that seems like it was built to be played in a stadium before somebody runs on the field, kind of, but mm-hmm. also can seem like you're going to battle at the same time. Uh, Fade to Black is a beautiful song about suicide <laughs> and like depressing, crushing suicide. It's a very dark song. Um, I, I, like one thing you notice too is that like this is where James Hetfield starts writing about songs where you're like, he's got some deep stuff he's processing here. You know, that like narrative darkness that I think I joked last week with Kill Em All, but like James Hetfield really like has a corner on a certain type of male psyche that like mm-hmm. he's able to get people to in their own way kind of express feelings because there's always a veneer of anger and aggression but then he kind of sneaks in like the feels kind of which i think kind of describes him yeah <laughs> a little bit as well um especially when you know his biography um but i think those obviously the songs most people would know uh, uh fight fire with fire establishes right off the bat that this is going to be a different type of metallica album because of like you said just a juxtaposition between the sort of sweet soft guitar entry and then the the crashing thrash mm-hmm. metal sound and, and make no mistake about it they are still playing at thrash speed yes right here um creeping death is another song that i really like but also as you might imagine from a song you know called creeping death pretty stark lyrically yep. and you <laughs> You wonder, like, a lot of these tracks, I think what's interesting is they could be taken as sort of universal themes or you could personalize them. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a little bit of, if you're listening to this and, and my God, like this being 1984, you're trying to think like, what is in the like landscape? You know, (laughs) like it must have been just complete revelation, right? Mm -hmm. For people that stump, I mean, because if you're a metalhead, in like 1983 or 84, right? Most of the metal you're listening to has like a theatrical element or like a glam element. As much as you're getting dark metal, like, you know, Black Sabbath's kind of winding down. Even Ozzy, you know, you know, Randy Rhodes is gone at this point. You know, he, yeah. this doesn't really resemble like Ozzy solo, right? I, I mean, it has some elements of like what Black Sabbath did in terms of the heaviness at the darkness but as we mentioned before they were sludgy this is full speed ahead yep what like what i guess this is like if you kind of like some of the elements of of punk right but you want your stuff to be hard harder longer and you want what would you like i guess just i guess what you say about metallica is there's it's just it's a very masculine traditionally masculine energy right Mm -hmm. that is the best way i could describe it it's not that you can't like come into it if you're female or don't have like that type of personality but you know i wouldn't say you and i are like you know super traditional you know male male you know type guys right but like you kind of have to inhabit that space to some degree to most enjoy this right and i also Mm -hmm. think like if you don't if you can't kind of go to the idea of processing emotion through anger or you know that 
approach and then peel it back to get to somewhere else that that you sort of like that that energy right that comes in it would be hard to to get and i could see how you didn't get metallica until black album right because like there there is like kind of like a, a door that you have to kind of cross between to get there and you know i i think some people might say that some of like what it embodies would be sort of like a toxic idea right of like Man, and that's not to say that Metallica is toxic, but I'm just saying it's kind of like, you know, you're not expressing emotion easily, you know, and stuff like that. And so, like, this is how you process it, right? Yeah. And I think that's why Metallica sold so many damn albums, like, under the radar in the 80s, because there'd just be ev- everywhere across the the country, you know? And, and in that era, could you imagine if you could have distributed stuff worldwide at that point? Like it got out. I mean, this stuff would have broken huge across the world yeah. and, and it got yeah. out in there, but it gets out slower, right? Yep. In that era, especially when you're kind of doing it underground. And I think like there had to have been kids just like every week hearing this and going, Oh my God, this like more so than almost any artist. I feel like that we've covered so far, I, I can hear as I listen to these songs, like people across the United States, like coming across this and going, this, this is this, my yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know? it's, your lo- like, it's, it's like, like your lodestone it's or like, something. It's <laughs> like you take hardcore, right? And you're yeah. like, I, I want hardcore, but I want it to sound like something I want to listen to, right? And yep. like, so the, the capitalization is so much bigger you get the energy but also with chops right, right. And, and that's and don't and make no mistake about metallica has chops especially this version of metallica yeah um, and and a pop sensibility and melody as well that i mean that's the secret sauce you know even compared to their contemporaries like megadeth and slayer and stuff i mean there's just a, a melodicism in metallica like that just it's what makes them Metallica. Yeah. yeah, and it must have been, you know, they didn't exist in a vacuum. There must have been other thrash metal bands out there at the same time, but they just weren't as good or they just I mean, they would, they talk about like Venom and stuff like some of the like new wave of British heavy metal bands, but okay. they were a little bit heavier, right? Motorhead, as Matt mentioned, you know, yep. a, a little bit, you know, playing hard. And there were some, but but none of those bands had Metallica's level of um melody. Right. And, and songwriting, you know, no, yeah. no way. Like, that, that's what made Metallica, you know, I, I, it's hard to not say they're not the, the most influential metal band ever, right? I, I guess I, if I, you define bands like Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin as metal, I guess you could make an argument. But, yeah. but who who's bigger than Metallica in the metal genre? I mean, I think they're, at this point, this, certainly the most well-known metal band of all time, probably, in the pop culture. Sense. I think so. Yeah. I'm one. I mean, I think they're the most influential sonically too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I more more bands have tried to sound like Metallica than than pretty much every band on earth. I mean, including like bands in other genres took elements of their sound in the 90s, you know, like mm-hmm. some of 90s grunge. Like if you listen to like Alice in Chains, there's just as much, you know, elements of what Metallica was doing as there was, you know, the grunge forefathers, right? Like yeah. Neil Young or something. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's a strong thumbs up. I, I think this is a really, really good album. I, I love the fact that we did this and Power Slave because I yeah. I heart both of those albums, <laughs> but but they're different. And I could see how someone could like one and not the other. And I could, I, I think if you don't like either of those albums, then like metal is definitely not your genre because yeah. like they represent both ends of the metal spectrum. And like, 
I don't know. I mean, I guess you you could maybe like hair metal if you don't like any, and we could argue about whether hair metal even is metal. But um, yeah, I, I just think this is really. I think lyrically, this is a very underrated album. I think chops wise, it's great. Um, I think it's also um, produced extremely well mm-hmm. for like a, a album that was not super major label. Um, and yeah, and I I don't know if Lars ever sounds better than he does. And once again, it's it, this version of Metallica, the bass stands out because bass is hard to make prominent in metal as a genre. It's just, it is not a genre that lends itself to like bass, right? Yep. And so I consistently noticed that I'm picking up on the bass lines here um, in a way that very few metal, I, I would say, like uh, Mastodon in modern times, right, is another band that I think mm-hmm. has that element in it. But um, it's rare. But it definitely, for me, um, is right there with the guitar work and Headfield's vocals and, and you know, and Lars just goal seeming to be to hit the drums as hard as humanly possible <laughs> yeah. um, on this one. So, yeah. Yeah, for a, th- for a sophomore album, it's a real um, step up. You know, there's always that saying of sophomore album being harder to do second album but um i, I think also it's think a strong case for it being i mean it's I, better than the first album i also think we have to start talking about things in the context of when they're released too because i think you have to understand like 84 like you yeah. just you have to think of this album in the context of 84 not us listening back to it in 2022 with right. a million sons and daughters right that, that yeah. we can trace to it like this must have just come out of nowhere and i just imagine you're a disaffected kid in a place that doesn't have much of a music scene and you may have the radio you know maybe you get some mtv at a friend's house your parents you know their albums are like stuff from the 60s maybe they've got like you know cheap trick and the eagles lying around and different stuff and classic rock radio is still playing like you know elo and stuff And, and that's not to knock any of that and then like you know, somebody's brother has Metallica, right? Like, you know, Ride yeah. the Lightning. And you put this on. It had to have just been like, holy shit, dude, for right. like a whole generation of... I think that was like Metallica in the 80s, right? Like for a whole generation of people, it was like they have their, like, I pick this cassette up. and um, Yeah, it's like a life-changing, you know, experience. Yeah, it for kids that were in their formative view. years. Yeah. yeah, kids in the 80s. You know, we came a little later when like you're exposed... You know, we we... You know, I, I think I got to Metallica first, like, you know, one was on MTV, right? And mm-hmm. you weren't really stumbling, you know, for me, that was, I think, when I was eight, maybe, and uh, like, maybe, yeah, eight, I think, is when that came out. And so, like, you, I heard it, and it's, you know, it's a ballad, it's a good ballad, but I'm not being introduced to Metallica in my teenage years through Ride the Lightning, right? right. <laughs> I'm being introduced through, like, a, a track that I think was the first attempt to really create, like, a, like a crossover type song and then later you're getting the black album where they make a conscious bid to kind of tune it down a little bit so i do think it's a slightly and i know matt always tells that experience it's just such a different experience than what it must have been like to be 15 or 16 years old and listening to music and then this comes into your world you know Mm -hmm. in like 1984 in that landscape where you're like holy god like what the hell is this that yep you know yeah so yeah, yeah. I just, I'm trying to think of, we've talked about a couple of things like that. We've talked about what it must have been like to have like heard the Velvet Underground for some of these musicians or um, Zeppelin, right, would be another. Yeah. We talked about that album 
1969 feeling like aliens put it on or the stooges um yeah there's just a few that it's like this is just different you know this is yeah definitely it's um yeah it's great would you still uh recommend if you were exposing somebody to metallica for the first time would you still start with the first album i think i would just so oh god i mean are they partial to metal or are they not partial to metal because if they're not super partial to metal (laughs) it's the black album i guess if you're you start because i mean it's metal enough that it's heavy right but it's like but if you're like i would like to uh i i would say master of puppets Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're going to talk about this i won't go far into that but i think master of puppets is the one you want i think i don't know if i'd go kill them all i i think that's not as certain it's not even as accessible as this album i don't think Um, no no i don't think so yeah i mean we'll get to do a couple others but my my initial thoughts are like master of puppets is probably the place to start Mm -hmm. like a potential metallica fan and then work them backwards to these out well you could either work them backwards to this album or work them forwards you know you could do either way yeah so so thumbs up from all of us Oh yeah, Again. strong thumbs up for me on this one for sure. Yep. Well, next week we are back to regular episodes, Josh. Nope, we got f- one more. One more. Wait, no, we can't. We don't because it's November. We said we're yep. just doing October. Yeah, but we took the first week of October off. Oh, uh, you're because, correct. So we're okay. to fill the. We're going to continue on for one more week oh, to fill okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so, more cold listens, more yeah. hot takes. What are our uh, What are our albums? We've got uh, we're. 1984 going into 1985 next week so we'll be caught up to the main feed and uh we've got rem's reckoning and then we've got sade's diamond life Mm. our first exposure to the smiths with their self-titled the smiths album i was wondering when they were going to show up yep uh back to you too with the unforgettable fire which we mentioned this week back to husker do with new day rising and back to new order with low life Wow. Okay, so a lot of so that's let's see, New Order, Husker Do, U two, All Return, and REM. Smiths New. Mm-hmm. Oh, and REM. Yep. yep. And the only Sade. new ones are the Smiths and Sade. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, we're in full like, like uh, this is like an NME magazine <laughs> special here with the bands yes. we're covering this week. So, uh, should be a fun one. Some some yep. albums I'm very familiar with. Others that I'm slightly familiar with and then one that i really haven't listened to all that much so yeah same not but i would say i'm not too familiar with any of these albums so oh wow none of them maybe the smiths would probably be the one i've know i know the most but everything else i don't think i've listened i've never listened to so we'll we'll be back at full strength next week too so i look forward to that but it was once again josh as always fun chopping it up with you in these two man shows chop style Mm mm-hmm and like not like a one man show with a mime yeah. like Howard yeah. Jones, but <laughs> Matt the was next the mime. Thing. <laughs> you Matt was the yeah. ah, touche. <laughs> yeah, two man show with a mime. So <laughs> fair enough. Well, um, hopefully everybody uh, has enjoyed the show, and uh, we look forward to having you back next week. Uh, take care of yourself. Be well, and see you soon. Filming the stacks can be found on thirteen different platforms. Viewer feedback can be sent to combingthestacks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at CombingThe and on YouTube by searching for Combing the Stacks and throwing us a follow.